Welcome to another episode of the ongoing history of movies and television. Take a seat, grab some popcorn, and journey with me to explore the amazing world of movies and television. Welcome back to another episode of the ongoing history of movies and television. This week, we will dive into a scandal that rocked Hollywood, the introduction to the world of color, and the rise and fall of the silent film. The motion pictures of the silent era were generally simplistic in nature. Actors acted in overly animated movements to engage the eye, and it was usually accompanied by live music, played by musicians in the theater, and written titles to create a mood and to narrate a story. Within this medium, one filmmaker in particular emerged to transform the silent film into an art and to unlock its potential as a form of serious expression. D.W. Griffith, who entered the film industry as an actor in 1907, quickly moved to a directing role in which he worked closely with his camera crew to experiment with shots, angles, and editing techniques that could heighten the emotional intensity of his scenes. He found that by practicing parallel editing, in which a film alternates between two or more scenes of action, he could create an illusion, and he could then heighten the tension of a film's drama by alternating between cuts more and more rapidly until the scenes of action converged. Griffith used this technique to great effect in his controversial film, The Birth of a Nation, which we might touch upon during a different episode. However, as great as Griffith might have been in creating these moments and elevating the scenes, by 1925, the era of the silent film was about to come to an end. You see, in 1925, representatives from the Western Electric Company sold the rights to a new type of technology that they called Vitaphone to a small Hollywood studio known as Warner Brothers. Executives at Warner Brothers took a chance on this new technology, thinking that the novelty of talking films might be a good way to make a quick short-term profit. Little did they know that their gamble would not only establish them as a major Hollywood studio, but it would also change the industry forever. By 1927, after a $3 million campaign, which would be around $47 million today, Warner Brothers had wired more than 150 theaters in the United States, and it released its second film with sound, The Jazz Singer, in which the actor Al Jolson improvised a few lines of synchronized dialogue and sang six songs. The film was a major breakthrough. Hearing an actor speak on screen for the first time, it, it left audiences enchanted. By 1929, three-fourths of Hollywood films had some form of sound accompaniment. And by 1930, just five years after Warner Brothers acquired the rights to the Vitaphone, the silent film was a thing of the past. Now, with so much good going on for the industry, they also had their fair share of issues. As film became an increasingly lucrative U.S. industry, prominent industry figures like D.W. Griffith, comedian director Charlie Chaplin, and actors Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks grew extremely wealthy and influential. Public attitudes towards stars and towards some stars' extravagant lifestyles were divided. This remains the same even today. 
On the one hand, these celebrities were idolized and imitated in popular culture. Yet, at the same time, they were criticized for representing a threat on and off screen to traditional morals. Scandal in Hollywood is a phrase used almost as much as Hollywood blockbuster, and comedian Roscoe Arbuckle was at the center of one of the biggest scandals of the silent era. Arbuckle, who worked alongside Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton, hosted a marathon party over Labor Day weekend in 1921, and one of his guests, model Virginia Rapp, was rushed to the hospital where she later died. Reports started to surface of drunken orgies, rape, and even murder. While the autopsy report apparently ruled out Arbuckle, the comedian was tried and acquitted for manslaughter, but the damage to his career was done. This scandal, among many others, started to create fear in the eyes of the public. State and local governments tried to intervene and censor the content of films, mainly the ones that depicted crime, violence, and sexually explicit material. Knowing that they needed to protect themselves from government censorship and regain the public's trust, the major Hollywood studios organized to form what we know as the Motion Picture Association of America, or MPAA, which today operates by a rating system which is designed to alert viewers to the age appropriateness of the film while still protecting the filmmaker's artistic freedom. Think of the PG, rated R, 18 plus warnings, stuff like that. But let's move away for a moment from the gloomy side of the industry and get back to the innovation that allowed the film industry to grow and flourish. Going from black and white to color was a technical marvel that actually took longer to catch on due to the era that it was developed. You see, in 1922, Herbert Clamus's Technicolor Company introduced a dye transfer technique that allowed it to produce a full-length film, The Toll of the Sea, in two primary colors. However, because only two colors were used, the appearance of The Toll of the Sea and The Ten Commandments, another early Technicolor film, was not very lifelike. But by 1932, Technicolor had designed a three-color system with more realistic results. And for the next 25 years, all color films were produced with this improved system. Disney's Three Little Pigs and Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and films with live actors like MGM's The Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind, experienced early success using Technicolor's three-color method. However, despite the success of certain color films in the 1930s, Hollywood, like the rest of the United States, was feeling the impact of the Great Depression and the expenses of special cameras, crews, and Technicolor lab processing made color films expensive for studios trying to cut costs. So it wasn't until the end of the 1940s that Technicolor would largely displace the black and white film. And a couple of years later, Herbert's Technicolor company would find itself up against one of its biggest competitors as a result of an antitrust legislation. In 1950, Technicolor lost its monopoly on the color film industry, allowing other providers to offer more competitive pricing on filming and processing services. At the same time, Kodak came out with a multi-layer film stock that made it possible to use more affordable cameras and to produce higher quality images. Kodak's Eastman Color option was an integral component in converting the industry to color. 
in the late 1940s, only 12% of features were in color. However, by 1954, after the release of the Kodak Eastman color, more than 50% of movies were in color. Next time on the ongoing history of movies and television, TV finally makes an appearance and it provides the biggest threat to the movie industry since the radio. We will also touch on the rise and fall of the Hollywood studio during its golden years, and we finally get to the era of blockbusters, sequels, knockoffs, and the rebel culture of the 60s and 70s. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow. I'll see you next time on the ongoing history of movies and television.